Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Conti of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking about the upcoming General Assembly session in Annapolis with Mary Ellen Russell, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Jennifer Bremen, who is Deputy Director and is also focuses on life issues for the conference. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Very exciting with the, the General Assembly. The session is going to begin January 10th and run through April 9th. So it's a 90-day marathon for you, a sprint and marathon all together at one time. As you represent the bishops of Maryland on public policy issues throughout the state, especially here in Annapolis, what is your focus as we go into the new session? Well, we probably have a number of um, issues that will be priority. Um, Certainly continuing to defeat bills to legalize physician-assisted suicide is a very high priority. Immigration issues are very important to us, and the renewal of the boost program are probably three of the biggest issues we'll be working on. How do you go about focusing on those issues? How do you how do you work with legislators and their staffs on these kinds of things? Like any lobbyist, I think the most important thing that we do is to educate legislators one on one on the the facts about the issues versus the political rhetoric that they might be reading about in the newspaper. Um, and trying to really understand how to approach each individual legislator in a way that they will personally find something that appeals to them about our issue and knowing what what issues they care about, that can be an angle through which we approach them. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, as you look at this, we approach this as a church, not from a partisan or or uh, one-sided issue, but we really look at a lot of different things. When you look at issues, especially the life issues that you focus on, how do you uh, take everything that the church teaches and that we know and believe and put that into public policy? Sure. So, um, you know, when we come at an issue um, such as physician-assisted suicide, um, we're brought to the issue because of our, um, um, to fight against the issue because of our deep convictions um, um, rooted in our faith. Um, However, um, when we go to to talk to legislators and advocate against the bill, um, the provisions of the legislation are are what um, really lead our our fight against it. Um, In the case of assisted suicide, the bill is uh, riddled with flaws, um, um, all of them um, centered around um, the bill's provisions taking advantage of our most vulnerable in our society. Um, and that is common ground that we can find with legislators when talking to them, no matter what side of the aisle they're, you know, they sit on. Um, their desire to help the most vulnerable among us, um, I think, is a common thread, um, both with them and their political convictions, and and of course with our our, our faith um, brings us um, to to fight for those folks as well, for those that don't have a voice or um, can't um, adequately um, advocate for themselves. We've fought this battle before, yeah. haven't we? We have. And why do we keep fighting it? Um, we keep fighting it. Um, you know, we keep, we surely don't want to keep fighting it, but this will be the fourth year that the General Assembly has considered assisted suicide. Um, 
Um, um, with the good Lord's help, it will be the fourth year that we defeat the bill. Um, but we keep fighting it because um, um, it's a really um, the proponents of the bill are really well funded. I think that they view it as a um, issue of choice, an issue of autonomy. Um, they keep coming back. I think they see Maryland as. Um, you know, a great place, uh, a place that's uh, a state that's ripe for um, passage of an assisted suicide bill. Um, and every time they come back, we'll be here to um, meet them and fight fight that good fight. So, When you look at the bill kind of just off the bat, a lot of people look at it and say, well, that sounds good. That sounds reasonable. I'll, I'll agree to that, or I would support that. And if my legislator supported it, I would support him or her. When you talk to people about that and you start breaking it open, what is it that changes people's minds? Yeah, Chris, I think that, um, and you're right, um, um, two-thirds of Marylanders, um, based on polling that we've seen, support um, the um, the idea of assisted suicide, in theory. Um, who doesn't want to know um, the date, the time um, that they leave this world? To have that kind of control over um, every aspect of their life, I think, is appealing on a very um, um, kind of broad level to folks. But you're right, once you dig into the bill, you realize how absolutely dangerous and heinous of a piece of legislation it is. Um, I think um, there's so many provisions that um, turn people's minds um, when when they learn of it. Um, The fact that no family needs to be notified um, if somebody were to exercise um, their ability to end their life with an overdose. Um, You know, the family is no part of the decision or even notified for that matter. It's not administered in a medical setting. Um, This could be done anywhere with no... Um, oversight um, by any medical professionals. Um, If you were to consume some of the lethal drugs and then change your mind and you're by yourself um, because the bill doesn't require you to be with anybody, um, surely um, I don't know what you would do at that point. There are no controls over that. I think the thing that really resonates now with the legislators and members of every community in the state is the fact that if legalized, um, assisted suicide would reintroduce into um, our communities um, Schedule 2, that's um, 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 dangerous controlled substances, back into our communities that haven't been prescribed for decades. Um, the barbiturates that are prescribed for assisted suicide are the same drugs that are administered via IV for the death penalty in states where that is still legal. Um, at 100 pills per prescription, you're talking about massive quantities of Schedule II drugs, the same schedule um, of opioids that um, are obviously you know, ravaging our communities, um, breaking families apart. Um, um, would be the same drugs used um, for assisted suicide. So we basically have um, handed to you over-the-counter at your local CVS um, legalized fatal overdoses. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start um, educating people on that aspect of it, um, um, that's when uh, they tend to pause and and wonder what we're doing here if if we go down this path. And you've made the point that... uh there's, in states where this has been legalized, there's a large number of people who receive the prescription and don't go through with it. Yeah, what I happens mean, there? Yeah, I mean, I guess apparently people fill the prescription because they want to know that they have that, um, I don't know, piece of control in their medicine cabinets, you know, if they so choose to um, use it. Um, but data shows out of Oregon that, uh, you know, over 50% of people that fill the prescriptions never never um, take the drugs. Um, Therefore, if they are terminal, as they're required to be per the the provisions of the bill, six months or less later, you have in a bottle a lethal overdose um, that's basically left to the estate um, or whoever finds these pills to just, you know, you you like to think hope, um, dispose of them properly. But as we know, with a, you know, high street value on a 
on um, those dangerous controlled substances, um, who knows what happens to them. They could be sold on the black market, they could be accidentally consumed, they could end up on the street, they could um, end up in the wrong hands. We don't know um, where they will end up. There are no provisions in the bill for their return to either law enforcement or anyone in the medical community. So without those safeguards, um, we're going down a dangerous path. You're having info sessions around the state to help people learn what the, what's going on here? We are. We've had two info sessions to educate um, folks around the state on the issue and the dangers of assisted suicide. Um, our first info session was a few weeks ago in Potomac. We had a great turnout for that. Um, I'm really um, passionate, engaged um, um, individuals that want to learn more and obviously um, get engaged here in Annapolis to fight against the bill. Um, last week, we had another session in Salisbury. Again, very well attended. Um, people very eager to kind of turn the tide on this issue and, and educate others about the dangers of the bill. And our third info session is coming up in January at St. Francis Xavier um, in Baltimore County. So, um, Which unfortunately is before we actually air this, this broadcast is going to oh, be aired. Okay. So, well, uh, then um, we had a great crowd for that one, too. And um, thank you for, <laughs> to everybody for turning out. So, um, yeah, it, they've been absolutely great to listen to people's concerns about the issue and educate them on the legislation. Wonderful. Well, after we come back after the break, we're going to talk some more with Mary Ellen Russell, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Jennifer Bremen, Deputy Director, about what's going on in Annapolis as we start the new legislative session. This is Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. For the New Year's celebration of World Peace Day and the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, Pope Francis chose to focus on migrants and refugees and their yearning for peace. Let's not extinguish the hope in their hearts. Let's not suffocate their hopes for peace, the Pope said January 1st at St. Peter's Square, according to a report from Catholic News Service. God becoming human in the baby Jesus, the Pope said, is an affirmation that human life is precious and sacred to the Lord. So to serve human life is to serve God. All life, from life in the mother's womb to that of the elderly, the suffering, and the sick, and to that of the troublesome and even repellent, is to be welcomed, loved, and helped, he said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. In an unusual move at the end of 2017, Pope Francis had the Vatican Press Office and Vatican Media distribute a copy of a famous photograph from the aftermath of the atomic bombing of Nagasaki. The photo shows a young boy, about 10 years old, carrying his dead little brother on his back. The boy is taking his brother to be cremated. On the back of the card, Pope Francis wrote, The Fruit of War, and signed his name. Below his signature, the Pope said that the photo was taken by U.S. Marine Corps photographer Joseph Roger O'Donnell. After the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, O'Donnell was assigned to document the scenes. The sadness of the child is expressed only by his lips, bitten and oozing blood, the Pope wrote. For more on this story and others, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. 
You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish and everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore, and we're talking with Mary Ellen Russell, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Jennifer Bremen, Deputy Director of the Conference. The conference is the public policy arm of the bishops of Maryland and really is involved very much in all the kinds of legislative concerns that you will see introduced in the new uh, legislative session coming up January 10th. Mary Ellen, you talked about the fact that the, uh, a little bit earlier, about the fact that there's a lot of things going on this year, a lot of different things. But one of the things that will affect the General Assembly is the fact that this is an election year for everybody. How does that change things? Well, I think the basic thing to keep in mind is that every one of the 188 members of the Maryland General Assembly um, is up for election again, as well as the governor of Maryland. And they will continue to campaign through the 90 days of the legislative session and to ensure that their constituents are aware of the good things that they're doing for them, they'll be very attentive to constituent input during this session since they know that this is three or four years ago, they might be able to sneak something by their voters, but it will be fresh in the minds of the voters this year um, what actions they take during the General Assembly, which is really important for um, Catholics throughout Maryland to keep in mind. Um, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you know, it's a, the church is a wonderful venue for voicing what, for many of us, I think, are what we call the purple issues. Um, many of us are middle of the road, and we're not very extreme on one side or the other, and the church really reflects that bipartisan approach. And this is a time where um, constituent input is critically important because legislators are listening all the more carefully. Um, it's also important for our um, listeners to keep in mind that many, many of the elections are decided in the primary. Um, and so when those primaries come up in Ju on June 26th, um, it's so important to go out and vote. We see over and over again that legislators are voted into office by 
as few as 10 votes, um, and certainly by 100 or so votes. And one of the things the conference will be doing um, during the session and in time for the elections is surveying all of the candidates running for the gubernatorial office and for the Maryland General Assembly so that people really know who they're, know the names of people who are running, know what district they're in, and know where people stand on the issues. And the result of that survey will be published, of course, in the Catholic Review, but also it's available online for a lot of people to, to see and access it before they go to the polls. Right. Tell us now uh, exactly how people can get involved in this. If people are interested in life issues or interested in issues of education or families, immigration, economy, where do they go? How do they get involved in that? How do they, how do they know what you're thinking and how do they know what kind of message they should send to their legislators? One of the easiest and quickest ways, um, the least time-consuming ways for um, very busy people to stay involved is simply to sign up for our online Catholic advocacy network, which is available at our, on our website, mdcatholic.org backslash join can, C-A-N, um, or just simply go to our website and you can click to um, the sign-up page there. Through that email network, we send out messages to all of our um, constituents letting them know when decisions are being made on specific issues by the General Assembly, giving them very brief background about the issue, and drafting a message for them to send to their legislators. So with the click of a button, um, anybody who's on the email network can weigh in and ask their legislators to support or oppose a particular piece of legislation to add their own messages if they so choose, but without having to even worry about looking up contact information for their legislators. The system recognizes the users by their um, their zip codes and their mailing addresses and will automatically match them to the proper legislators. So it's, it's a great way to really know what's going on without having to rely on the secular media to really understand the church's perspective on these issues and to be very, very effective in um, becoming involved with the legislative process. So we, we can't encourage people enough to um, take advantage of that very easy tool. Well, good. We'll ask you to give give us that uh, that website address again a little bit later, uh, right before we leave, we leave the show. We've got a few uh, about five minutes left, so we have other issues to talk about. Obviously, physician assisted suicide is one of the most important that we will be facing this session, but there are others. Uh, immigration, especially, is is an important one. Tell us a little bit about where the conference uh, works on that. Conference remains very involved in immigration ish issues because it's a it's a real priority for the bishops both at the national level and here in Maryland. And the difficulty with the immigration issue at the state level is that these issues, for the most part, need to be resolved by Congress at the federal level. And one of the greatest concerns I know a lot of us have are the DACA recipients, young people who came to this country through no decision of their own, have been part Americans for almost all of their lives and now suddenly no longer have status within the country and, and their their future is very much up in the air and we're looking at ways that we could possibly help them. Um, in general, I think the church is a haven, is a refuge for the immigrant community and so any way that we find through the state through state level legislation that we can make their lives easier so they can get to work, so that they can take care of their families, so that their children can be educated, so that they have access to health care. We will look for avenues to do that. 
Um, one thing I just want to jump back for one second about mm -hmm. being involved, another opportunity for being involved that we really encourage people to take advantage of is our annual Catholics in Annapolis night, which will be held on February 22nd. We begin in the afternoon with briefings. We provide opportunities to meet with legislators, and then we gather for a legislative reception with the bishops, legislators, and other Catholic leaders. And people can come for any or all of the event and all of the sign-up information is available on our website as well. So do you do as part of that a little bit of a briefing on the issues before they go and talk to their legislators? We do. We, there's so many issues that we work on. We try to choose three main issues, which are the ones that we've been talking about. We also provide preview videos from all of our lobbyists on the issues to give people a little bit of background before they come and then give people talking points to take to their legislators when they go to meet with them as well. And if I can make a plug for this year, that hopefully will bring um, um, large uh, numbers of uh, Maryland uh, Catholics to our event is at the reception. Um, we will be hearing um, from the very talented students um, from Cardinal Sheehan School. We'll be providing some entertainment. Um, they are a, as everyone knows, a wonderful example of, um, of Catholic education and Catholic students um, of our, our school system. So please... Um, um, if nothing else, join us for the reception, join the bishops, uh, meet your legislators, and uh, listen to those uh, wonderful vocalists um, as they, as they um, um, entertain us for, for part of the reception. And interestingly, a number of students at Cardinal Sheehan, I think there's 68 students, are Booth Scholarship recipients. So Which a is a great, great segue into talking about... What's been the success with Boost, and what do we need to do going for, forward? We, we're in the second year of Boost, um, and the funding has been increased a little bit, and more and more students are applying. There's huge demand for um, low-income families to be able to have access to schools like Catholic schools and other non-public schools through tuition assistance from the state. Um, I think that part of the impetus for the program being initiated in the first place was many of the troubles in Baltimore City, and I think people are really looking for solutions that are long-term and sustainable and can turn lives around. And it's amazing to see the wonderful um, stories coming out of Boost recipients who have are so excited, never thought they'd be able to have this opportunity to send their children to a school like Cardinal Sheehan or other schools, and knowing that they really have a future that they did not hope that they, they would have, possibly. There's a lot of unmet need. Boost provided a little over $6 million in funding this year, $5 million the first year or so. Um, but that unmet need, there was there were more than that who, who could have taken advantage if, if there was enough money available, right? Absolutely. There are a number of students that applied that weren't unable to receive scholarships. They do give priority to students who are new to non-public schools coming from um, public schools. And this year, 72% of the funds will be going to students who were previously in public schools, and I think nearly 45% of the students who received the scholarships um, were coming from public schools, and that's been a real priority to really get to, to, to children who have not had this opportunity before. Thank you so much. Before we go, remind people again how to sign up for your e newsletters. Go to mdcatholic.org backslash join can, join C-A-N, or simply go to our website at where all the information is easily is easy to find. And you hope that people will join you February 22nd for Catholics in Annapolis. I assume they can sign up also on the website there. They can, and it, it is a free event, but it's important to register so that we can connect you with your legislators. Excellent. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Mary Ellen Russell, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and her Deputy Director, Jennifer Bremen. 
And you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. This is Chris Gunting of the Catholic Review. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.